we all know what happens with trying to find digital photos, but this was a physical photo and she never found it, but proceeded to tell me the story. And I just thought, oh my God, why do we take all these photos and collect all these things? And we just can never, we can't find them. And so that's where the idea of memories out of the box came into my, my mind. Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing, with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hi, friends. Welcome back. And if you're new to the show, this is where we talk about growing our business as life story professionals, helping clients write and record their life story and other legacy projects for their family, for their friends, and for future generations. Today, Marty McNabb of Memories Out of the Box is joining us. Marty has her own special niche within the life story industry. The the kinds of projects that she does are very different from the long-form narrative books that I do for my clients over at the Story Scribe. So I'm very eager to talk to her. So a quick introduction. Um, Marty has been haunted by all of the life stories that get stuck in a box, a bag, a suitcase, or worse, get surrendered to a flea market or an auction. And because of that, she created this business, Memories Out of the Box. So for the past 10 years, she's been writing life stories with photos and documents and memorabilia, turning all of this into a visual narrative of the owner's life. She hosts object-inspired story-sharing events called Show and Tell. So that's the second big thing that we're going to talk about on our show today. Um, so these show and tells, they're a lot like the show and tell that you remember probably from grade school, only no gerbils. <laughs> so she invites everybody to bring an object and tell its story or to simply look and listen. Marty, I am very happy to have you on to the Life Story Coach podcast. Welcome. Well, hello, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Well, I think you probably have a lot to share with people who are just starting in the life story business or people who are possibly already in the business, but maybe looking to go a different direction or looking for some creative ways to market their business. And we'll get into that with the show and tell. But can you first tell us a little bit about how you got into this profession? Absolutely. That would be my pleasure. So, It's now actually over 10 years. We might be hitting 11 or 12 years when I started Memories Out of the Box. And I sadly have to say that I was kind of a, a, I was a teacher, happy teacher appreciation day as of yesterday, but I was a New York City public school teacher for eight and a half years, um, high school biology. And I loved teaching the kids. I loved science, but I had a a difficult time with the administration. And I just, um, I had promised myself that if I ever got burnt out, I would leave the field. And I never quite got burnt out, but I got crispy around the edges, I say. (laughs) Um, And so I went back to my first Uh, my first career. I'm a sign language interpreter. And I had done that for about eight years before I got into teaching. And so I resorted to that. But um, it didn't, it wasn't quite fulfilling enough. Because if you're a really good interpreter, sign language interpreter, you basically are invisible. The point is, is that you have, you're the conduit of communication that happens between two people. And the better you're at at it, um, the more the people are feeling like they're communicating directly to with one another, which is a wonderful thing. And I know a lot of people who are still in that field, and I'm grateful, but it is a little bit lacking for somebody who cares to be a bit more involved and a bit more present. And so... I was really looking for something else to do, and I visited, I was, you know, I just decided I needed to take a little break like a lot of us do sometimes between careers or between in periods of our lives transitions, and I took a break and I went down to Asheville, North Carolina to visit a good friend who had just moved down there, and when I was on my way there, I realized I had two other friends who had moved from from Florida 
up to North Carolina into Asheville in the same town. And I reached out to them and I was like, I've got to see you while I'm there. And when I went to see Susan, she proceeded to tell me what had happened in the five years since we'd seen each other last. And her biggest announcement is that she was an aunt. She had two nieces and she was just so excited about it and proceeded to go back and forth to her bedroom, trying to find the photo uh, envelope, the envelope that had the photo of she and her sister and her nieces. And she just couldn't find it. She spent like probably, mm, it seemed like a half an hour, but maybe it was 15 minutes, but it was a significant amount of time trying to place, you know, this one important photo that she wanted to share with me and she couldn't find it. And so, of course, this was 11 years ago, and we all know what happens with the digital, trying to find digital mm -hmm. photos, but this was a physical photo, and she never found it, but proceeded to tell me the story, and I just thought, oh my God, why do we take all these photos and collect all these things in our lives, and we just can never, we can't find them, and so that's where the idea of memories out of the box um, came into my, my mind. Mm, that's really interesting. And I take it that you are, um, you must be a very visual, tactile person because you're, it, what it sounds like is that, um, well, I want you to describe a little bit of what the projects look like. Um, but it sounds like it's, um, more to do with memorabilia. So telling stories of people's lives through memorabilia rather than them directly recounting memories. Yes. You're, you're correct, Amy. So it's, it's, my projects are, are, it's a, they're visual narratives. So they literally, a lot of times my clients just drop off boxes and bags, um, or give me keys to storage units or, um, access to their homes so I can get to their attics or their basements. And then, these are primarily photos, documents, newspaper clippings, of course, uh, wedding announcements. Um, let's see, um, you know, old, new, barred and blue, you know, all the things that people, the, you know, roses and postcards mm. and, and foreign money from their travels and, of course, tickets, you know, plane tickets and movie tickets and um, all the all the souvenirs of, of their journey through their life. So I, I love gathering gathering all these things together, both digitally and physically. It started certainly with more physical work, um, but in the last like five years, it's been a combination of both physical and digital um, photos, documents and memorabilia. And then going through the process of creating a visual narrative. So when it's all said and done, are they, um, do they get a book? Do they get um, a, a box of things? What does the final product look like? So the, the process is the same um, independent of the, the end product. So most of my work is, I'm, is gathering everything together and then organizing it, and then editing it. So that process happens with every um, client that I work with, right? And that is significantly the most significant part of every project that I've had. That probably is good 75% of the work that I do. It is in those, that pro those processes. The end product, I, I speak with my clients, and I imagine you're, you know, you're familiar, and and the people who are listening are familiar with, you know, the the big challenge for us is that our clients really don't know what's possible. Mm -hmm. They they they, you know, the idea of asking them what what they want um, is lovely, but. In our field, that's relatively young. It it's they're they're off. They they often do not even know the potential and the possibilities. So, the end product I explain can be anything, but it is a custom 
a product made specifically an heirloom piece that's a legacy item for their family. And interestingly enough, after 11 years, over 11 years of doing it this though, even though I've offered them all kinds of end products, they, the majority, I would say a good 90% of my clients either want a one of a kind scrapbook that mm-hmm. has their locks of hair, baby teeth, cards, letters, thank you notes, um, ticket, plane tickets, uh, you name it, like, you know, the kitchen sink kind of thing um, that is adhered into a one of a kind scrapbook where all of these things are placed down carefully in um, photo safe um, with photo safe materials. Oh, and you're talking about the actual artifacts themselves going into the book, not scans of them. Exactly. Some now, needless to say, I don't. If we we're, we're talking about like a Cupid doll from graduation, you know, 1960s graduation from Harvard, we're not putting that doll in. Or if we're we're talking about medals that. Uh, one of my clients has gotten, then if, if the, the dimensions are quite large, then the, these are often photographed and then uh, a, you know, a photo of the object is included in the, the end product. But if they're, I've ha- you know, locks of hair, um, a baby tooth, something that is relatively, I mean, it's not that large, those things can go inside pockets and, mm. and inside the, the scrapbook, along with, you know, letters that I, I love the fact that my my art pieces are are interactive. So people, there's letters, there's cards, and all of these things are placed either in the envelope that they came in so that they can open the envelope again and take out the letter so that they can Re- have that whole experience of opening this letter and reading it and then tucking it back into the envelope so that, you know, so that they can ex- really experience it again. So those are the things that I tried to recreate in a, in, in, in a scrapbook set situation. So, but that's if people only want, want, want one copy of it. Oh, right. Yeah, because obviously that can't be replicated. <laughs> right. So we, we do, if there's a one of a kind, I often work with a photographer who will, um, because these are oversized, these are 14 by 14 scrapbooks. So there, it's a little bit difficult to, to scan the pages, although there's new technology now that is out there that I'm studying. But I've been working with a professional product photographer to photograph mm. the individual pages so that there is a backup in, in case anything happens to the original. That's actually really interesting because right now I'm working with a married couple that they wanted, they're doing a book together. So it's a combined book. Mm-hmm. And um, the last time I was over there, they sent me home with, um, it's, it looks like a scrapbook on the outside, but it's something that the woman had done after they got married and it's beautifully done. She had taken, you know, it's that rough paper, that scrapbook paper that's not smooth, you know, it's very toothy. And, and she had, I guess, fed it through an actual typewriter and, um, and there's lots of white space around it. She did it beautifully. So there's just maybe a paragraph on each page. And then on the facing pages, there will be just maybe one or two or three photos to illustrate that it's, it's the, the story of their romance and it's beautifully done. And I'm trying now to figure out the best way to incorporate that into the book that I'm doing. So I'm actually doing a traditional life story book. A long form narrative for them, but they want this also incorporated, and I, and it, it was something that I was just working on today. So that's interesting to hear that there's technology out there that can take these oversized pages and create scans out of them. Oh, absolutely! There's more and more of those that those you know technology or like apps. Basically, there's a, several apps, but there's an there's the app in the phone, but then there's also a some some hardware that's necessary, but there's 
tons of, uh, it's a wonderful thing. There's so many tools now for this kind of work. It's, it's right. delightful. Yeah. The one thing that I have used for oversized, um, well, a lot of times if, if a client has um, a photo or a some sort of picture hanging on a wall, I've used, I'm sure you probably know about the Flip Pal, um, yeah. which you can take the cover off, you can scan it, you can do it in, um, you know, take several scans of different sections of an oversized piece. And then it has really good software to stitch them all together, which is something else that I use for a different client today. And, and that yeah. can work really well. Yes, yes. That's it's one. Those are wonderful tools that are out there now. Yeah, it, it's very mobile. You can take it wherever for the things that people don't necessarily want coming out of their house. But I, I'm going to back up here for a second because yeah. Yeah. I, you made a really important point, I think, when you were talking about the experience with the letters. I am such a huge fan of letters. Um, I'm not really a memorabilia keeper for myself. I can understand how people love that. But but for me, the objects aren't all that important because I I, I love to read. Letters are where it's at for me. And, yeah. and something that you said, you know, that you have them displayed in these books where people can actually have the experience of taking it out of the original envelope. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, if this book gets passed down from one generation to the next – Nobody writes letters anymore. Like the, the, the kids who are growing up now are not going to ever really experience unless they go out of their way to do this, have this retro experience, but they're not going to experience getting a personal letter in the mail or sending personal letters and have that, that joy of opening up the envelope and reading, you know, unfolding the papers and reading it. And I think that's a wonderful thing that I, I certainly wouldn't have thought of myself, but to, to have that preserved as part of the life story and that, so you're actually giving the story plus like an extra dollop of experience that the grandparents had and that's going to be unfamiliar, just like the stories may have been unfamiliar, but even that experience of, of opening a, an envelope and pulling out a letter. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I, it is a lost art and um, yet so, so important. And so like e the same experience, like remember when we would, when you would watch somebody, I mean, it's hard when it's yourself, but you'd watch somebody go into a photo processing store and come out with a packet of photos, mm -hmm. newly developed photos, and, and watching them, like, pull them out, and you just see the smiles on their faces, you know. That's exactly, awesome. before, you even, before you even open your car door, usually, right? <laughs> right, you know, that's something that is just not familiar to this generation at this point, right? Right, right. Very that's, different, very different I thing. agree. But I do have to say, on a side note, there is an organization that is trying to address this challenge of not having a, a handwritten letters, and it's called the Letter Writers Alliance. Hmm. L -W, yeah, LWA, Letter Writers Alliance, and they, I don't, they, they have some different, um, they, they're going, go around and, and try to encourage people to, um, learn how to write letters. And I think it's delightful. I'm going to have to look them up. That's really interesting. What I have found lately, and this is getting a little bit off topic, but it's hard to find um, it's hard to find mailing addresses. So if you don't know somebody personally, but if, and, and very often, you know, I like to, if, if I read a book or like the last time I did this was a, a book of poetry and it was a very small self-published book of poetry, but I wanted to let this author know, um, how much, you know, what it meant to me. And I had to do so much digging just to get an address. I didn't want to write an email, um, even if I had been able to find the email address, but I didn't want to write an email to say, um, you know, how much her poetry had touched me. I wanted to send a letter and it can be really difficult now to find those, those addresses. Yeah, um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I, I agree with you. It's a, it's a dying art and it's a shame. Um, okay. But going back to your, your out of the box projects, yeah. you said that, um, you, 75% of it is meeting with the clients and going over the things. You also said that they'll sometimes just hand you the key to, you know, to the storage unit or let you go up in the attic. In those cases, are you sitting down with them and 
um, kind of doing an interview to see what stories are meaningful and what are the things that you should be looking for. So if you have this mass of memorabilia, how do you know where to go with it? So my, my experience is a little different. I work with people who have very little time. So you know that old saying, whether you, you either have the time or you have the money? Mm-hmm. It, at least I did not find that that was the case. If people didn't have the money, they didn't have the time. So it, I've, I found that the people that hire me are often, they often work very, diff- very hard and long hours and they just don't have time to meet. Not to mention that a lot of them have acquired or have gathered over the years all these photos. And there's a, a bit of sense of guilt about mm-hmm. that, the state that they're in. And there's, you know, a ton of overwhelm in it. And so the majority of my clients, long, long story short, my, the majority of my clients do not sit down with me. The majority of my clients deliver or I go pick up boxes and bags and suitcases or like I said I get a key to a storage unit and um, or allowed into their house you know somebody they either left the house open or there's a key somewhere and I go and um, and just go in and and start working on these these projects and um a lot of people have asked that, well, how can you possibly do that? Like that was the the first thing when I started this, you know, 11 years ago, that was the number one question. How can you possibly make sense of all of this? And what I've found is that I, I sometimes refer to myself as the photo listener instead of the photo whisperer. (laughs) And, um, and it's mainly that I, I just in the spending, in the going through the boxes, calling through them, gathering, spreading them out, you know, if it's physical, which a lot of times it is, spreading it out. And I had a studio space in my apartment in the city over time and, and looking through and being like, oh, this this boy looks familiar. Oh, this dog, it looks familiar. Mm-hmm. Oh, this boy, look, the haircut, the the the. Now, this is baby number one. This is baby number two. You know, just getting a sense of, of the family through just spending time with these, their, their photo document and memorabilia archives. And through that spending time, I, I, I hear the story. And it's just been, it's been a wonderful, it's, it's, you know, our work, I think, can, is, is science, but it's also a lot of art. And I think that that's, for me, what, what I finally had to embrace is that a lot of it is I can't, I can't tell you exactly how it's done, how the story comes to me, but it just does over time. And interestingly enough, when, you know, I offer my clients m- multiple times during the process to review the work that I do and often beg them to do it. <laughs> And um, I'm really lucky if I get them to come and review it maybe twice for um, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes at most. And the majority of the time, the people are like, how did you possibly know that that photo should be on the same page with that that card or that um, baby tooth or that uh, ultrasound picture? Wow. And I am so impressed. I am so impressed. That is certainly not a gift that I would have. I mean, I, to be honest, I can't, I have three kids and I, I'm, they always make fun of me because I can't tell one of them apart from the other in their baby photos. <laughs> <laughs> and so I usually just lie and pretend. And I used to get caught up when I'd send one to school for them. <laughs> It'd be the wrong one. Oh, that's, we all have our strengths. That's it. And I could never do what you do, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 
Right. So Dennis Ledoux, who is with the Memoir Network, um, yeah. he was on um, on the the podcast recently, and he talked about how um, you know the Myers Briggs personality test and how um, you know there's I think what four different categories, and he said that most of the people who come into this profession are feelers, um, and you know because we can we have a sense of empathy and, and which you absolutely have to have to do this job, right? But yeah. the other one that he said was that a lot of people, himself included, are, um, I, I forget what they call them, intuitors. They, they have that intuitive sense. Um, and that sounds exactly like what you're describing about yourself, because you have to be very intuitive to, like you said, be the, you know, without people telling you, you're just figuring out, you're unraveling the threads of their stories. I think that is fascinating. I am so impressed with that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been delightful. It's been wonderful. And then occasionally I get thrown in like my most recent client, I get thrown into a situation where he really wanted to um, sit down and go through things with me. So that was a, a real delight. But that's not typical, it sounds like. Not typical at all. Nope. Yeah. No, yeah. Not at all. The majority, I've, again, I've probably worked with over 100 clients. And some of them, the majority of them I've worked on at least two, if not my first client who I started with 11 years ago, I have worked on 13 projects with her. Wow. Are they, and were they all similar type projects, but on different themes or different topics? Yeah. So, so the first one was a a book for her daughter, sort of like a baby book, but her baby was graduating from college. Mm -hmm. And so that was how our relationship started as she, she had bought a a beautiful leather bound hand stitch book from Espinal of London, which is the place that I love working, um, getting their beautiful um, scrapbooks. So she'd already bought it, already had it embossed. It was sitting in a box inside of the box with all the photos of her daughter (laughs) for probably like three or four years. She tried to do this project on her own for her daughter's graduation from high school. And of course, she's a very, very busy divorce attorney and just did not have the time. So she found me through a Craig's ads list, no less, (laughs) Um, which I'm not, I'm not doing anymore because I got started getting spammed a lot. But Anyway, she she started that way. And so it started with that. And then she's got three other children. So we did two of the other three. The other the the youngest was too young to do anything with him, but I'm sure I will do that eventually. But then she takes some trips to to um with her family. She goes, you know, the big thing is she works very hard and then she plays very hard. And so she went on like a a three-week vacation with her family. So we did a book about that. And then there was, of course, the box that she had inherited from her mother, who she Mm -hmm. actually did not know anybody in it whatsoever, really, other than her mother um, and her grandmother. But there were a ton of people. But she just loved the photos, those gorgeous black and white photos. And she, you know, knew she wanted to do something with them. So we just created a a beautiful book about them as best we could with the information that we really didn't know. And there wasn't enough information for me to really make sense of it, but it came out beautifully. And then, you know, of course, I restore wedding books as well. So she, her wedding, she'd been married about 20 years previously, and her wedding book was falling apart. So I, um, I worked on, um, recreating a new new book from the mm-hmm. photos and you know things a, a variety of other smaller projects and and larger projects but yes 14 altogether it's been quite a that's where i was like wow i feel i really feel like part of the family i hmm. love that <laughs> and i i like this idea that you're um you know most of the people that i work with and and myself included, you know, we all have boxes of photos that we've inherited from somebody and the photos are not labeled. And to me, I've always thought of it as being sort of tragic because, you know, if they're, if they're not labeled and we don't know who they are, um, 
you know, what do we do with them? So I really like this idea that you are taking them for, um, you, you know that they had meaning, you know that they were probably either relatives or somebody meaningful in the life of her relatives. And so you're leaving it at that and you're creating something beautiful with it. I, I, I admire that. I, I like that idea a lot. Yeah, well, and and what was the the most beautiful is after going through the this this box that she brought. There, we came across a photo that honestly, it I I held it up and I and when she came, she did come in to review and I held it up to her and I said, and and I said, does this look like somebody? And and it it must have been like a great grandmother with her grandmother. I was sitting on a stone fence in Ireland, and it was the spitting image of she and her daughter. Oh, boy. <laughs> so those are the beautiful things about these old photos that we don't necessarily know everything about it, but they still have the connection to the present. Right. And for this type of this type of project or these types of clients, how are they finding you? You said you used to advertise on Craigslist. How, how are they finding you now? And something that I've gotten into or interested in lately is, is what keywords are we using on our websites to have people be able to reach us? If they particularly, like you're saying, when they don't even know what the possibilities are, they just know that they have a box of these artifacts, they have a box of memorabilia, they're feeling guilty, they're feeling bad, they're feeling overwhelmed because they know that it has value, but they don't know what to do with it or they don't have time to do what they don't know what to do with it. <laughs> and how are how are they finding you then, the professional who's going to take that pain away from them and create something beautiful? Yes. So, well, that's still the ongoing challenge. Uh, again, for a lot of personal historians and, and life story people, um, I think that that often, because it is a relatively new profession, that that is 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 a, a difficult point. Is how do we spread the word? How do people find mm-hmm. out about us? And so, I the the re- reality is is that I did have a store in uh, Prospect Heights, Brooklyn, for a year and a half when I first started Memories Out of the Box, and my first four clients came because of that store. So even though they would, they might have come without the store. They did come with the the store was was a part of them knowing about me. It was part of the, my visibility and credibility, um, and so that's that was a start of it. And then realistically, it ended up being as I think a lot of us do. It ended up being a matter of um, of word of mouth. So mm-hmm. it was just um, it, it was just asking my my clients, like my brave the clients that had worked with me, if they knew anyone who could use my services. It was I did for a period of time join some networking groups and had to figure out which ones worked for me and which ones didn't work for me. In terms of my website, realistically, very very few people find me from my website. I, I've had, it's again, mostly been word of mouth and, um, asking, like I said, asking previous clients for letting, letting me know about other people. And then it's been, the next part was being a member of a professional association and being listed on their site and some people finding me there. And then the last couple of years, it's been mainly because of the work that I've been doing with my my second business, which is Thing Tide Show and Tales. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is a perfect time to start talking about that because it's really <laughs> exciting. I, I remember we, you and I belonged to the same association back when you started this, and it just it took off like a wildfire. Um, can you first? explain what it is and then talk a little bit about um, how you got the idea of doing it and, and how it started? Uh, certainly, yes. So again, I think that my experience with most personal historians and for that matter, most small business owners, artists, designers, creatives, freelancers as a whole, one of the main problems is that 
most of us really, really don't like marketing ourselves. <laughs> it's just such a, a, a difficult thing for the majority of us. I don't know if that's always the case, but what I've noticed it is. And what I even found in our previous association was that there were some, there were quite a few of our colleagues who had a background in marketing and PR, but, and they had a fine time, no problem marketing and doing um, public relations work for the companies that they were hired for, but had a huge problem uh, doing it for themselves. So mm-hmm. I think that I, you know, it, it's not a, it's not an easy elevator speech, what we do. It's a, um, it's a relationship building. Like you have to have some rapport for, for people to even open up to try to understand the work that we do. And in your case, I imagine there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm not important enough to have a life story written about me. I haven't done enough in my life, you know, that there can be a lot of, you know, um, resistance to it because they, like you said, they don't know what's out there. They don't know what is, um, what other people are doing. Nobody Mm -hmm. maybe in their immediate family or in their friendship circle has done anything like this. So it's, it's right. uh, It's a matter of, of letting them know that they can give themselves give themselves permission to do something. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. Like it, you, you, you don't have to give yourself permission. Oh, we were talking about writing your life story. So not hiring somebody to do it, but actually writing your own life story. And some people even feel resistance to that because they think, well, who, who would be interested? I've just had an ordinary life. And you don't have to give yourself permission to watch TV. You don't have to give yourself permission to go on a bike ride or a walk. Why should you have to have this feeling of, um, you know, you don't, you don't have the right to sit down and reflect on your own life. Um, so yes, you're right. That is definitely an, an obstacle that we face. I, and I'm sure that you probably do as well. Yeah. Yes. You know, so there, there's no question people have that, like you said, that they they think, Oh, nobody's going to read it. Well, what about just the pure pleasure of, of the, the experience? itself right so that's what mm-hmm. you know it's is is wonderful and and i just yeah we all have you know that that's what i found and i'm sure that you've found is that people these ordinary people that have so-called ordinary lives are far from ordinary so and that gives a richness in in all of our lives it's a real gift that they give to themselves and maybe somebody in their family would appreciate it, but just giving themselves that by writing it or by hiring someone that it's a real gift just for themselves to have it. So, right. Yeah. So there's, you know, so I ended up realizing that mine was definitely a word of mouth business, but I was desperate for more mouths, Amy. (laughs) I was desperate for more mouths because my experience again has been that our sales cycle for the work that we do is very long. It, it's, um, it's one of those things that people are like, yes, I should do this. I need to do this. This is important. But it, it can take quite a long time. This is not like the, the, the um, checkout line at the grocery store, you know. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> Marty, I've had, I've had people call me and say, I really want to do this. And then they call me back three years later and yeah. say, okay, I'm ready now. I mean, honest to goodness, three years, that's yeah. a long sales cycle. And, and I had, I, you know, being totally new to business and not knowing much when I got into it and knowing a little bit more now, but I hired someone, a friend of mine to go and put out um, and, and go around my neighborhood in, in Brooklyn and, uh, deliver postcards about memories out of the box. And I got a call again, the same thing, like four, four or five years later. And a woman was just like, Oh, and I was like, hello. <laughs> and she was just like, 
you're still in Oh, my God. I have your postcard. I put it inside of my box with all my photos. You know, I've, I, it's finally time. I've moved enough. It's like I can't put this off any longer. I'm so glad that you're still in business. So, and, and I had the same thing happen with a woman who made an appointment with me. She was like, I'm finally 21 years married and never made a wedding album. She Mm. ended up making an appointment with me to like review things. And she called me an hour before our meeting and said that she was really sorry. She had to cancel because she couldn't find her photos. And wow. Three years later, I got a call and she said, or no, four, yeah, three years later, I got a call and she again was like, oh, you're still around. Oh my God, I was doing renovation and I finally found the box that had our wedding photos in them. So (laughs) she ended up presenting her, her, you know, her, the wedding album to her husband 22 years later. So it's, It happens to all of us. My, I'm, I'm sitting in my basement right now in, in, in uh, not my basement, my mother's basement in, in Vermont, and I have my boxes. So true, con- true confession here. <laughs> I've got my boxes. Right. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's why I started showing tales is because I was like, I need um, other, I need more mouths. I need to be, you know, like, and I, I don't, I need a way to invite people to connect with me. And I found it much easier to just invite people since I, as you know, I tell stories with other people's stuff, right? That's the the work that I do, people's um, visual uh, stories, their visual archives. And I tell stories with it. So what better way than to invite people to bring an object or a photo and tell their story as a way to connect with me and get to know me and hopefully get to like me and maybe consider um, hiring me or, or referring somebody to me if they if the occasion happens, like they hear somebody's retiring or somebody's having a um, family reunion or somebody's passed away or they're downsizing and they're like, oh, wait a minute, there's this woman that does these events and I think she can help you. <laughs> So what did your first event look like? So it started actually at Branded Saloon in Prospect Heights, Brooklyn. A good friend of mine owns this bar. And I just asked if I could use the back room and invite people to bring objects and tell their stories. And I would, of course, in exchange for the free room, encourage them to buy drinks and food and support the bar and, and of course, tip the waitress and the bartender. And so it started in the back room at Branded Saloon. And at that point, I wasn't doing themes. It was pretty, it was open. People, I invited people to bring any object. It was called, I think at that time, Show and Tell Brooklyn. And so I just invited people to bring anything that they wanted to show us and and share its story. Such a brilliant idea. How did you get the word out? So, were these friends that you were inviting? Or? At first, yeah. At first, Amy, it was, it was. you know, I lived in that neighborhood. And so at first it was word of mouth again and inviting friends and, and people that I knew from the bar and from the neighborhood. And then I, you know, thankfully we, you know, at that time we, we had, you know, uh, Facebook. I'm, I am far from an early adopter. I had people um, getting those emails or whatever notifications inviting me to join Facebook from my friends, but it took me quite a few years to join, but I finally did. And uh, so I started putting out events on, on Facebook and I started a meetup group where, you know, mm. for people, who, you know, who are looking for in-person events um, as a way to build community and make connections. So I started that. And uh, so, you know, just slowly, you know, built built up a, a, a mailing list and um, a, a bit of a following and just continue to invite them to come and share their stories. And then were there, are there, did you start off with a set of 
guidelines, you know, get up and do the people, do the people actually get up in front of the group? Do they stay seated and show things? Are there a certain number of minutes that they go? Um, Or can they just, is it just sort of free and they can do what they want? No, there is a a bit of a, you know, I don't know, house rules, so to speak. And so I ended up um, inviting people. The, The point here is, I don't know how, how popular storytelling is in the area that you're in at this point, but it's, mm-hmm. it's gotten hugely uh, important, uh, you know, very, very big in New York City and in a lot of places that I've heard. And the point there is that it really is a uh, performance piece. So they're looking for very well-developed beginning, middle, and end and of course, a lot of those, like the moth, I say, show and tales is like Antiques Roadshow meets the moth. Cause, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but it's a little different than that because the moth, they do have sort of a, you know, it's, it's not really a serious competition, so to speak. I mean, it is in some ways, but I don't think it's like, it's not the voice or, or something like that. But there is a competition to it, like a clapping and who's got the best. So it's much more performance-based. What is really important to me with Show and Tales is that that everyone feel welcome to either show and tell or to look and listen, but that people realize that this isn't, nobody's judging you. This is more a, a a story sharing event as opposed to a storytelling event. I, I invite, mm, I love that. I invite it. It's so it is kind of like the experience of maybe around the kitchen table, but it can, I know some of our colleagues did these events around the world and there was more around like a co- uh, at a coffee shop or at a library. So it was around a table. So people didn't stand up and share, but in my events, they, they usually are sort of in spaces that have a stage and it's just, a good way to be able to see the object and really clearly hear the storyteller or story sharer. And so a lot of them are where people stand up, but a lot of it does depend on how many people attend. So I've had anywhere from no one where I had a really good connection with the bartender (laughs) to uh, (laughs) who we're still in good contact with at this moment. Um, upwards of, and she's been to California and back to New York, upwards to um, uh, 50 people at a show and tale that I did in oh, connection with the um, the Morbid Anatomy Museum. And I also did a show and tale, Scars, Tats, and Piercings at Madame X in the low, lower Manhattan. And that was, we had a, probably about the same a number, about 50. So it, it really oh. to adjust the things, but this is more like show and tell, like you said in the beginning, like from elementary school. So it's, you know, it's three to five minutes. It, you know, it's, it's really not meant to be a well-developed story. It's more an opportunity to just open up. So you, so people can see, you know, a little bit more about who you are and have the opportunity to connect with you around the story that you're sharing. I love that. And, you know, it's making me think of how when I sit down with one of my storytellers, so one of my clients who, you know, we're working on a book together, um, one of the best ways if if they're, you know, if, if this happens more with men than with women, and definitely with particular kinds of men, you know, like if they've had a bureaucratic career, and, you know, maybe they're not used to sharing about their life so much, um, give them a prop, and they will go to town. And, <laughs> And by a prop, I mean, it can be like asking them about some photos, but it's, it's something about having, um, that, that object in front of them that they can touch and they don't necessarily have to maintain eye contact. 
to be honest, I find this with my son, my teenage son. You know, we have fantastic conversations when we're in the car and we're both looking forward and, you know, I'm driving or he's driving and and there's, there's something else that's there. And I think that's, that's what holds true for men at sporting events who maybe they're not great at having heart to heart conversations, but boy, they can sure happen there because you've got something else that's, um, um, so in your case, it's these objects that are supposedly the focus, but that frees up all of this psychic energy to be able to talk and to share um, and to communicate on a level that we don't normally do with a room full of strangers or even a room full of you know friends. Yes, you see, you said that beautifully. That it it really is a prop. You know, people they ha- I, a lot of my story sharers do take a moment and look at their photo or look at their object as a way to kind of recenter and to, to not feel so, so nervous and, you know, in front of people. And I've just seen the, the most amazing things happen. Like people have stayed like pretty much I've hosted over a hundred of these events in New York city and every single one of them. And I mean it, like I'm, totally like I was shocked by it too, but every single one of them, the majority of the people stay afterwards and make connections with Mm -hmm. people who once were, when they walked in, they didn't know each other. So this is a real, Mm -hmm. you know, opportunity to make connections. And and you're absolutely right. It's, it, it's, you're, you've got something that you can touch. It's, it's, it really is like literally a prop. It props you up. And something that I found that you had written a while ago, um, and this, this is for people who are in the life story saving business. Um, you had taught some workshops previously. And on one of the, um, one of the PDFs advertising one of your workshops, you, you talk about how these show and tell events, or you call them show and tell events, I guess. Um, they're for people who spend, and I'm, I'm reading this, people who spend much of their day communicating by email, text, or phone. And this allows them to find a place to connect face to face. And that is a huge draw, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yes. And, and what's, what's interesting, Amy, is that I, I have been a bit, um, a bit resistant to, um, one of the things that I'm doing is I have left New York City and I am in the process of getting an RV and hitting the road for a while and taking this show and tales on the road with me. Oh, I am so jealous. And, and part, but part of that is, is that I'm not going to have the usual venues that I've been using for my in-person events. And I've had a couple of people, including members of our old association, encouraging me to consider the possibility of hosting these show and tales virtually. So it's not the same mm. as in person, but it is face to face in the sense that uh, you, you use video conferencing and it just so happens. It, I know that this, this recording is going to not be come out in time, but it just so happens that I'm hosting my first show and tale virtually this Saturday in honor of Mother's Day. So it's Mother's Mementos and Memories, Mm. and it's going to be on Zoom. And I know that, again, this recording is going to go after, but if you're available, Amy, on Saturday at 4 o'clock Eastern time, I'll I'll send you the information so you can join me virtually. (laughs) But but it's face-to-face. Okay, very good. (laughs) I assume that you're going to be planning these virtual events in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm at this point, I'm hoping uh, at least that we'll do them once a month on different themes. And this is anybody who can, you know, if they get on your mailing list, they find out about it and they can join in. They can hop in on one of these these events. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will. Well, and I'm guessing too. So, and this is, we're kind of getting short on time. So I I, I want to take a couple minutes. (laughs) I know. I want to take a couple of minutes to talk about this as a marketing tool. But I also want to point out for any listeners, if you do sign up for um, Marty's newsletter and you do eventually get to go to one of these virtual events, that could give you, um, 
I, obviously, I want to encourage everybody to pers- participate, but you can also get an inside look on what it looks like if you, if the listeners want to try to um, start these up to get more visibility in their own community for their life story business. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Without a doubt. So needless to say, as you know, Amy, I offered this idea to our old, uh, our old association colleagues, members of that association, and it was under the name Show and Tell. And, um, you know, this is, you know, just, you know, invite people to, to a place somewhere um, and uh, ask them to bring an object and tell a story. So, but I am rolling it out as a certification or a train, I'm doing a training program and Mm -hmm. I'm licensing people in this because what I found, even though I offered a bunch of tools to the colleague, our colleagues, that, you know, it, it takes a bit more training and, and support and encouragement and feedback and, um, and just, you know, being there for someone to, to find a, a, the comfort of hosting these events. So I'm um, going to be offering all kinds of um, resources and support to uh, my licensees. And part of that, of course, is going to be partnering with them when I start traveling around the country in doing um, co-promotion and um, pop-up events and show and tail events in their in their towns across the country. Oh, fantastic. That's that's great. So how long do you expect to be on the road for? Well, I'm picking up my RV on the 22nd of this month. And what of May. I, uh-huh. Yes, of May. And I am, um, what I've realized is that it's really important. I, I thought I needed to hit the road right away. But what I realized is I've developed a wonderful community of people in New England and the Northeast. And that it's probably the best thing for me to really roll out this licensing program uh, in this area, in this local area, and develop it more deeply before really hitting the road across the across the country. Um, but I'm hoping to get, hit the road um, for at least a year or two, and um, maybe even some of my uh, licensees can we can get a little. Um, uh, reward or uh, awards or something and somebody can we can win they can win a a couple of months in the rv as part of uh, rolling out show and tales along with me (laughs) oh my gosh i love that you and your band of merry pranksters right like (laughs) i love that i would love i would love that too i'm looking for people who want to have fun and go traveling and do marketing in a really really fun, easy, uh, simple way, but that is powerful and really builds community and connection for the people who attend and for them uh, connecting with with, uh, life story people and personal historians that are doing the wonderful work that that we all do and love to do and are passionate about. That's 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 great. Well, I'm my youngest is going away to college in the fall, so sign me up. I, I want to be part of this Yay! this movement. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely I will definitely send information. <laughs> if anybody wants to get in touch with you to learn about your your licensing program, um, to learn about how to start these show and tell events, or if they want to hear a little bit more about your out of the box um, work, if pe- perhaps they're thinking about doing something similar, where do they find you? So with um, with the memories out of the box, I, I try to keep them separate because it helps my brain keeping organized. So with the memories out of the box, it's Marty and that's M-A-R-T-I-E at memoriesoutofthebox.com. And with show and tales, if you're interested in the events, coming to the events, seeing the events, or in uh, potentially becoming a licensee, then it's, that would be at info at show and tales, and that's T-A-L-E-S dot com. Okay, good. And I'll make sure to put the, the these as links on the show notes. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to do it, along with everything else that we've been talking about, because you've touched on some really cool things. Well, I really appreciate 
all you're doing, Amy. This is this is fabulous. This has been so fun. Well, this has been great for me too because you know, I ever since I started this podcast, I'm learning about all kinds of ways of doing life story projects that I would have never thought of. And you know, you were talking about how you you meet with clients and clients just kind of look at you and say, "Well, you're the professional. I don't know what I want. I, you know, they have an intuition that they they want something done, but they don't quite know what it is." Um Except for the particular types of projects that I do, um, I, I wouldn't know what to do with a box of memorabilia. I mean, and this is, this is fantastic that I get to talk to you and, and learn about these Absolutely. cool things and everything else that you're doing. So thank you for joining us and oh, the best of luck to you with your road trip. Um, and come to Kansas City. I will help, help you set oh. something up. Can't, I even, I already, you're talking about it. I already know exactly where oh, we're going to go. Wonderful. I've got a venue in oh, mind. I'm, of course I'm going to Kansas. Of course I'm coming and visiting you, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so, thank okay, you so Marty. much. I really appreciate it. Oh, I do too. Okay. Take care. Bye. That does it for our interview with Marty McNabb. You can find links to her websites in today's show notes, along with links to a bunch of the other things that we were talking about. And hopefully when she gets on the road with her storytelling show and tell traveling extravaganza, we can reach out to her again to get an update. I am so jealous of her, this storytelling nomad thing that she's going to be starting. Um, I'm, I'm going to join her. You guys are my witness now. I'm putting it out there in the world. I want to join her at least for part of this, um, as long as there's room for my dog, my 100-pound Weimaraner. I hope that you enjoyed our conversation, and I really hope that she gave you some ideas that you can take and implement in your own business, whether it's doing the kinds of really visual, tactile, creative projects that she's creating, or implementing some of these marketing ideas. You know, she is a great person to look at for thinking outside of the box. Um, <laughs> so out of the boxes that she's doing. Okay. So if you have any feedback or questions or anything that you want to discuss about today's episode, head on over to the show notes, share them in the comments. And as always, if today's show was helpful, the best way you can return the favor is to leave us a review on iTunes. I'm Amy Woods Butler, personal historian and life story writer, and your coach for building your own professional life story business. Now go out and save someone's story.